You're listening to the EDI Insights Podcast from Ecosio, your go-to source for top tips and expert opinion on the most important B2B integration topics. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EDI Insights Podcast. My name's Will Smith. I'm an EDI analyst at Ecosio. Today, I'm joined by Ecosio's head of sales, Julia, to discuss common EDI mistakes and hopefully shed some light on how to avoid them. So first things first, Julia, do you want to just uh, introduce yourself a little bit and explain exactly what your role at Ecosio involves? Thanks for the invitation. Um, I've been working at Ecosio for the last six years, dealing with customers of all sizes with their EDI problems and challenges that they were facing, trying to find the best possible solution there could be out there. And yes, there's a lot of things that we've seen and I think a lot of takeaways that would work for any other company out there and that should be considered whenever uh, taking new EDI solutions into consideration or even evaluating existing ones. Perfect. I personally have a background in business and then jumped into the EDI business right after my studies and yes, have not been willing to leave that business ever since. Excellent. So uh, the reason we're here today is to talk about common EDI mistakes and the many ways in which businesses may be undermining the efficiency of their B2B integration processes. Electronic data interchange has the potential, of course, to streamline supply chains and provide many benefits to businesses from kind of helping them to save time and money to enabling them to reduce risk and boost their competitive advantage. Despite this, for many people who deal with EDI on a daily basis, EDI is often seen as something of a headache. Um, So you've very kindly agreed to take us through the six main mistakes that businesses make when it comes to EDI. So I think it makes sense, of course, to kick off with number one, and that is not considering the three key components that are required to make EDI successful. So could you expand on that a bit for us? What what are the three components? So Basically, any EDI solution out there exists of three components uh, called platform, network, and of course, service to be a fully functional solution. And most companies don't consider all components when choosing their EDI solution because it's not very common and, and it's not very clear on first sight that you need all those three components to be covered. So usually you would have a platform that allows you to convert your messages, to deal with your messages and cover all the format requirements that are out there on the market. Mm -hmm. And that is the key thing that people keep talking about. It's uh, converting messages from one format to the other, leaving out the information that there's a network required as well to actually then get the message where they need to be. So send the messages. There's a large number of uh, different communication protocols out there that need to be covered. There's value-added networks. And in order to cover all the EDI requirements internationally, Mm -hmm. there is a network that you need to be able to send messages and receive messages from all your partners to all your partners. Of course, uh, taking into consideration business size, If you're a large corporation uh, dealing with uh, customers and suppliers internationally, that network part gets even more important because then it's really required. The US, for example, has really specific requirements and is working a lot with value-added networks, while in the European market, it's less. 
Mm-hmm. But then even considering how e-invoicing is developing on a European basis, on a worldwide basis, and, and that e-invoicing is getting more and more mandatory within a lot of countries, also that is part of the network that will cover all those specific e-invoicing networks uh, that are offered per country. Mm-hmm. Everything seems to be different from one country to the next as well. So it's even more complicated than it necessarily could be. I I strongly agree with that. So yeah, considering the network is really essential, but usually forgotten because you believe all requirements can be met by just converting from one format to the other. And of course, last but not least, uh, service is a really essential part of of that whole EDI problem as well. Mm -hmm. Because, um, and I'll get into that uh, with, with the next point in more detail, but EDI requires a lot of resources and somebody needs to take care of that whole communication and coordination around EDI services. Because the thing is, once it's automated, it works quite well and nobody talks about it until there's a problem with it. And then it escalates quite quickly up to the top management of a firm. Um, However, up until that point, you still need a lot of service to be added for keeping the EDI running. And very often that is not considered when choosing EDI solutions. Definitely. Which brings us perfectly onto, as you say, the, the second mistake, which is uh, underestimating the time, resources and, and know-how um, that EDI operations require. Exactly. So I wonder if you could just break that down a little bit more for us. Yes, I think one of the main or, or the key points uh, within that pitfall or, or problem that companies are facing mm-hmm. is um, that EDI is considered only a technical thing that needs to be taken care of. And yes, as a matter of fact, preparing a mapping from one format to the other is not the complex part of it, but actually engaging with all the involved parties is. Uh, usually when you set up an EDI connection, you need to communicate with the supplier, with the supplier's ERP customizer, EDI provider, and any other party involved. And somebody has to coordinate all of that. Uh, so, and, and that cannot really be optimized because you still need to talk to people. You can't change that. Uh, once that talking part has been done and everything has been agreed upon uh, and, and tested properly, setting the connection life and then using it, that's the easy part. But actually underestimating the time that needs to be invested to get everything set up in the beginning is a really big thing uh, that needs to be taken into consideration. Mm. No, definitely. I, I spoke to um, our head of onboarding and operations in the previous podcast, actually, and he was saying during the onboarding phase in particular, you're often having to deal with people at suppliers that, that deal with EDI, and they may not really, um, one, like dealing with EDI, and two, be that motivated yes. or that experienced. So it ends up being something that takes uh, quite a lot of human skills as well as technical skills exactly. to navigate that. And I mean, you do have the dynamic in EDI that uh, the, the big corporations set their standards and expect suppliers to meet those standards. So for suppliers, it's not always very exciting to fulfill all those standards as also mm. standard is a really nice word in EDI because everybody defines their own standard, even though there might be EDI <laughs> yeah, standards out there. nothing. It's not really standard. Uh, so, of course, I, I strongly agree with uh, what, what Paul might have said in the last podcast that um, it's really hard to keep the suppliers engaged as well as it's not their benefit usually, but the customer's benefit. So, mm-hmm. yes, and, and therefore it requires also a lot of know-how meeting all those different standards and 
underestimating that might make it really hard too. Especially we've been mentioning country specifics uh, in, in the last point already. And that also applies to the know-how. Uh, the US is doing it differently than Europeans do. And you need to know the specifics in, in order to succeed and be quick with it. And underestimating that part really is going to uh, yeah make the project much slower, much more complicated, and in the end, much more frustrating, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, I think um, from what I understand, a lot of in-house teams that deal with the EDI often have people for whom EDI isn't the main part of their job as well. Yep. So um, they're coming back to it and may not be completely clued in with what's, what's needed. Um, so that can be a bit of an issue as well. Yes. And in addition to that, um, very often the technical part that I mentioned before is split from the business and communication and coordination part which makes it really hard to communicate effectively because if, if I am not the expert of the technical stuff, but I am the one communicating with the other parties, it might probably take a couple of loops until everybody has all the information they need in order to move forward. Yeah. So having all the relevant information is a good segue, I think, into our third mistake, which is failing to plan sufficiently so i've got here poor poor planning was mistake number three poor planning is a thing that has happened a lot in the past but also is still happening and it goes down to several things that we need to consider because of course many di solutions out there have grown historically so nobody actually went in there and scoped the whole project saying hey those are the requirements that i need to cover and this is what i need for it but rather than that the requirements popped in slowly year by year and people just kept finding solutions for those requirements. We'll jump into that point uh, again a little later. But that, of course, didn't allow for sufficient planning, which is why it's even more important than when considering to change DDI solution, you really take into consideration everything that's happening now, but also consider the future and how it might be evolving. And yeah, which changes it triggers. We've mentioned e-invoicing before, it's complicated, but it's a topic that's moving fast and mm. all the countries are on board with that. So you actually have to be very flexible with DDI solution. Just covering your current needs won't really provide you with a future-proof EDI solution uh, that you'll be happy with in a couple of years. Mm. So that is a really important part as well. But also, of course, uh, proper project planning in terms of how many resources do I need internally to coordinate with a PDI partner? What can I do internally? Which know-how do I have? And, and how can I make use of that know-how? And where is it useful to actually engage myself as a company or to use an outsourced partner to do certain parts for me? Mm -hmm. Because I have experts taking care of other things, but not those specific tasks. So I think that's a really important part as well. Yeah, then planning carefully, as we mentioned before, it takes a lot of resources to then migrate partners from the current DDI solution to a new solution. There is a lot of communication and coordination. And that means actually don't do too much at the same time. Really provide a proper project plan. Make sure that you know when your team will be available. Consider holidays in it. Um, mm -hmm. And also consider that especially big companies might have locked periods for their SAP systems where you can't really do anything and you're not allowed to switch things. And all of that needs to be planned properly in 
order to be able to keep the time schedule that has been agreed upon and that you want to keep. Because also having two EDI solutions at the same time is usually cost intensive. Mm. So people don't want to do that. But switching over too fast without planning properly bears the risk of, of actually having times where not everything is running smoothly and considering the fact that EDI is a very business critical part for most companies. Yeah, smooth planning is very essential and should be taken care of. Yeah, it, it seems that you um, you really need on the one side someone that really understands the needs of the business and their supply chain. But on the other hand, you really need someone with EDI expertise. And just having one of those without the other can lead to problems. Yes, I, I strongly agree on that point. It's really well put by you. Um, you. You need to engage in both. You need to have both and you need to plan it properly. Also get the responsibilities straight throughout the project because uh, communication is key. There's so many involved parties that everybody needs to make sure that everything's been put into consideration and, and yeah, has been defined properly to then move forward quickly. And then it's actually really easy to have a successful EDI project. That's the cool thing. If, if you do your planning properly, it's easy. Well, that uh, talking of uh, successful EDI, the, the next uh, mistake we've got kind of runs on from that quite quite well, I think. And this mistake, uh, people may not even realize that they're um, suffering from this because they're not aware of it. So number four we've got is uh, not recognizing the potential of EDI to enable business departments. So what do you mean by that then? That is still a very uh, common mistake made out there. So EDI is a very IT, yeah, it's, it's an IT topic basically. So it's usually, we talk to IT people whenever I go out there, it's the CIO of a company whom we talk into or an EDI responsible person within the IT department. Mm-hmm making sure that they solve the technical problem of actually setting up those interfaces with partners. But there's a large business impact to that too, because in the end, EDI is set up to enable business departments to exchange their orders, dispatch advices, invoices with their suppliers or customers. So in the end, you re- what you really want to do is allow them to quickly communicate with their partners. Mm. However, uh, in, in a lot of current EDI setups, This is not really possible because the business departments don't have any transparency on what happens to their messages. So they would create the message in their ERP system and send it out, but then it's a black box. EDI has been known to be a black box for business departments within the past 20 years, I guess. And I've been talking to so many people telling me, but I don't know what's happening to my messages. And that makes my life really hurt because actually, what does it do to those departments? Hmm. It makes... Business departments go to the IT department saying, hey, can you look whether my EDI message has reached the final destination? But in the end, that is not an IT department's core competency to look for a, like order, whether it has been sent or received by the, by the party. So providing the business departments with the transparency on EDI message exchange is something really important that will enable them to do their job effectively and efficiently and allow the ID department to focus on the things that really matter to them and make sure that the infrastructure is up and running and yeah that availability scalability of all the systems are there and I think that's much more important nowadays than yeah following up EDI messages for IT experts. 
Definitely. I just, I wonder if you could just expand on what transparency in that sense would uh, would look like. Yeah. For someone say in, in like a purchasing department. So transparency would look like that, uh, or it could could be visualized in a way that in the ERP system where the order has been created, you would actually get status updates and what happened to your order afterwards. So you would get a, a status update on, yes, has been delivered to uh, the EDI provider, has been delivered to the recipient party, and has been actually dealt with in their system. So they really know, okay, my message has not only been transferred, but it has actually been read. So, I mean, I guess a lot of people are using WhatsApp or any other mm-hmm. messenger tools out there. And usually you get those ticks when, when the message has been read you can turn them off but in EDI it doesn't make sense to turn them off <laughs> and and basically that's what I mean with transparency it's it's getting those message ticks and knowing okay my invoice has been sent hmm. and therefore knowing they really didn't pay the invoice because they have received it but we still haven't received the payment so they got the invoice but they then didn't further advance on that so not only great for the purchasing department or the finance or whoever um, the business department is but also crucially for the IT department that are constantly having to deal with these uh, requests from the from the rest of the business. Yeah, exactly. And operational issues that are, yeah, not their business after all. And, and for business departments, it's really valuable to have that information. It really facilitates their life, uh, makes error resolution much faster. Yeah, and, and just provides a lot of advantages. Excellent. Well, from uh, looking at what a good system can provide, I think let's switch now to looking at what a bad system gives you. So our our fifth mistake is uh, sticking with a bad EDI system for too long. So could you uh, could you let us know what what that might uh, entail or or the, the difficulties that might bring with it? Yes. I often point out that a mobile phone that you might have bought three years ago is not really state of the art anymore. And people want to exchange that phone because the camera is not what they want it to be anymore or the speed or the touchscreen and whatever doesn't really meet their expectations anymore. However, when we jump into uh, company IT solutions and, and all that business to business context, people are kind of scared of switching their solutions. Mm. That's also due to, um, I think, the historic a matter of how IT systems used to work. You had a system and then there were system updates once or twice a year. A lot of things were changed in between. And then once you updated the system, there were a lot of errors, a lot of things happening, but that's not how it has to go anymore. Mm -hmm. There is a cloud solution out there. Um, There is mechanisms out there that allow for really flexible updating and upgrading of infrastructure. So that fear comes with old systems and people therefore also stick with those old systems because touching those old systems bears a lot of risks, but actually not touching them bears even bigger risks. And as we were saying earlier, like new kind of uh, e-invoicing regulations are, are coming out all the time. And, you know, with time, your your requirements are going to change. So the longer you leave it, the worse it's going to become as well. So, yes, yeah. And the way... I really like to put it for for people that I talk to is most people don't know what they can expect from an EDI system. So they're used to EDI being a pain. They're Mm. used to problems in ongoing operations. They're used to searching for a message for an hour because it's really hard to find a message. 
Um, and I think what, what holds back a lot of companies today as well is not knowing what's actually possible with EDI. So uh, being open to looking at new solutions doesn't mean you have to change right away, but actually being open to look at new solutions and look at what technology can provide you with is really valuable. And it's like, I, I'm a person who likes uh, climbing mountains and it's like stopping at the middle station. You don't do that because <laughs> you believe that there's something really nice up there on top of the mountain that you want to see. And even yeah. if you believe at a middle station, oh, wow, the view is nice already. When you go up there and finalize that hard part, yeah, most of the times you will realize it's even nicer up there. So that's why I think the really essential thing is to, to stay curious and really have a look at the market and see what's out there and, and not stick to that's how we've always done it and it fulfills the need because EDI can do much more than just fulfill the need of sending messages. Yeah, and there's not a need really for people to worry about changing a running system if they choose the right thing as well. Exactly. Um, so let's assume that someone has chosen a new solution. Our next and final um, EDI mistake relates to that. So the final one we've got here is not understanding EDI contract terms properly. So what are the what are the issues that people have there then? <laughs> I, I guess that's true for many, many IT solutions out there. Um, it's changing a bit with SaaS solutions. However, there's a big consulting part to EDI. As I mentioned in, in the first point, service is a really huge component uh, when, when thinking about an EDI solution because there are tasks that will have to happen. And the only thing we have to decide is who's taking care of those tasks. Is it going to be someone internally within that company or is it going to be the provider? This is sometimes really hard to find out when looking at EDI offers. Uh, so it's really hard to compare offers out there because there's a lot of different ways to put things. And usually it's very small differences in, in the wording that will make large differences in terms of money. Uh, mm. So actually really go into detail with the offerings that you get. Try to understand them and, and challenge the providers with the offers of other providers because that will give you the opportunity to really understand the differences. By just mm. sticking to it and, and applying your basic question list, you won't really get to the bottom of it. And that can make it really expensive because in the end, what's mostly not included in, in EDI contracts and offerings is the service part. It's the part uh, that involves people talking to other people. And that can take one hour, but it can also take 10 hours. And if, if that's, for example, charged on a times and material basis, mm. Yes, preparing a technical mapping is the easy part. I can tell you it's going to take between four and eight hours, depending on the complexity of the mapping. But I can tell you whether I have to contact a supplier 20 times for him to respond to me. And that's the thing that's usually hidden within a lot of offers. Yeah, I was going to ask you if, you, if you've got any kind of um, specific examples of, of the kind of things that people regret not looking at when they're considering these these offers. Well, I think it's really that. It's it's the service component. It says uh, mapping creation, including testing, but it doesn't say communication with all involved stakeholders. Mm. So it seems like everything's done because what in the end you need is a mapping that works. 
But what you need to get that mapping that works is to talk to the people. And if that's not offered within that thing, that's a problem. So that would be one very common thing. Then I think for ongoing operations, monitoring is a big thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. There has to be a differentiation, or there usually is, between monitoring of the infrastructure and monitoring of EDI message exchange, which is something that is not offered very often. But of course, uh, freeze up internal teams if the EDI provider takes care of, because if the EDI provider is responsible for message monitoring and proactively gets in touch with a customer to inform them that something got ro- uh, went wrong with a message, that makes a difference. And that's mm. usually not included and, and it's just not outlined clearly. So it says mm. monitoring included. Yeah. Error resolution is very often not included. So it says, okay, yeah, I will inform you about the error. So you'll get an automated message saying there was an error in message 751. And then you have to engage in actually finding out what that error was and what the solution mm-hmm. to that error can be. So it's little wording differences that make a big difference after all. Yeah. Um, yeah, the only thing I can recommend is really going in there into all the details, letting everyone explain it very, very detailed to, to get all the information out. Well, that was a lovely way to circle back to your first, uh, the first mistake that we talked about, which was a platform network and service. So I think we've tied up those mistakes in a, in a lovely bow. Um, yes. <laughs> so before we go, I just I I wonder if you've got any kind of final words of advice for people that are uh, maybe struggling with EDI at the moment, or they're nervous about an upcoming migration, or thinking of upgrading their existing solution. Well, I I think the most important thing is to be open, talk to people, because there is a, or there are a lot of experts out there who can provide you with the know-how that is necessary, who've gone through migration such like uh, and as as you're planning to and that can provide you with the information and talking to different providers will actually give you a lot of different views on that and then you can build up uh, your plan on on how to move forward with it Um, what I also recommend is uh, looking at the technical solution in detail because there are big differences there are a lot of historically grown solutions also with EDI providers out there um, that still have like individual installations but are sold as cloud solutions. So really try to understand the technology behind it and the advantages and disadvantages of those technologies to make sure that you get a future-proof solution. Because I think the most important thing nowadays when when talking about EDI is flexibility. Mm. And you should definitely choose a solution that allows you to be as flexible as possible in the future. And yeah, that's possible with solutions that are further developed, that are up to date and they can care of very well um, rather than our software solutions that have been there all the time and just put out there be like the, hey, here's the standard that you can buy and then have fun with it. I think that's not state of the art anymore. Excellent. Well, I think that's probably it for this episode. Um, That just leaves me to thank you very much, uh, Julia, for sharing your thoughts with me today. Thank you for the invite. And uh, to remind all of you listening to follow Ocosio for more EDI insights. See you next time.